Hello, hello, Heat Nation! Welcome back to Heat is Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. Thank you for checking in. I'm your host, Kyle Russell, back from a very relaxing family vacation, ready to get back into the swing of things, and here to chat a little about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat, who unfortunately could not extend the series to Game 7. I was hoping that I would be previewing that for tomorrow night instead, but Game 5, last Monday, Miami, unfortunately repeated the cycle that had been happening throughout the course of the series, just not enough offense. On a night where they actually managed to hold Denver below 100 points, too. That was incredible. But unable to get enough offense going, they end up losing Game 5, losing the finals as well. We'll talk a little bit about that, uh, mainly just the general takeaways from that game and how they relate to general takeaways from the series as a whole. And then afterwards, we'll talk a little bit about just, just what the season was like as a whole. Because it, it certainly was a lot now that I went back and looked after it. But we go back first. Game 5 last Monday. Miami losing at the Denver Nuggets 89-94. to Again, a game where Miami held the Nuggets in the 90s. I, I legitimately wasn't even sure that would happen once this series. But I guess not to be outdone, Miami did something. I also didn't think that they would do once this series, which is score below 90 points. So, ultimately... They ended up losing that game and ended up uh, losing the series with it. Just, again, like I mentioned before, we'll do mainly just do takeaways uh, for the game and as they relate to the series. So first one up for this one, Jimmy Butler, 21 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists on a very bad 5 of 18 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3-point range, 9-11 from the free throw line, though. Did not have it going at all that game uh, outside of a furious rally in the fourth quarter where he scored Miami's last 13 points to briefly take the lead. Miami had it was an 89-88 to 88 lead with two minutes left. And then the last two minutes, they failed to score a single point as Denver got just enough. They need another six points to eventually take this game. Some quick math, though. If Jimmy scored 13 points in the fourth quarter, which is insane. That, that doesn't need to be said. That was absolutely insane. It was helped a little bit by a foul that was very much not a foul because he kicked his leg out. I can freely admit that. But the main point here, though, was 13 points in the fourth quarter, finished with 21 for the game. That means he finished with eight points through the first three quarters. And again, it's just emblematic of the pro- one of the big problems Miami had offensively throughout this series. Jimmy wasn't healthy. He couldn't get it going outside of like very small stretches, like in this fourth quarter. But overall, it was not the level of production that Miami needed, especially when you compare it to earlier in the playoffs before the ankle injury, uh, where you know he's just shredding the Bucks. And then after that injury, Game One against the Knicks, uh, just was not the same player. But looking back as well, the other thing that I will probably think about when I think back to this season as well is what would have happened if Miami had taken care of Boston at home in Game Four and ended up sweeping them. Not not just for, you know, the whole how it would have been nice to sweep the Celtics for the rivalries of it all, I guess. But more so for the amount of rest Jimmy could have gotten. It That would have been the difference between, like, nine, ten days off versus the three days off that they had before the finals. I'm not sure if that's enough to get Jimmy Ankles right, but it at least gets him in a better health status going into that series where he arguably had his worst series. Not arguably, statistically he had his worst series in the finals, which would make sense, a lingering ankle injury getting dragged out 
over a seven-game series that that was played every other day, and then only three days off before then going into another series, that's a heavy workload. So maybe that extra rest could have made the difference. Uh, after that, though, next takeaway, Nico Jokic, the dude's just freaking amazing. 28 points, 16 rebounds, 4 assists on 12 of 16 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3-point range, 3 of 5 from the free throw line. He, he got the Nuggets buckets whenever they needed it. It was to juxtaposition to Jimmy Butler. Jimmy is the player that we expect, hey, if we need a bucket in certain key spots just to help to keep the offense going, to prevent a run, to maybe take a small lead, to close out a quarter... That's what we wanted from Jimmy. He couldn't provide it. Conversely, Jokic was doing that for the Nuggets. He was just attacking switches uh, and was consistent enough throughout the series that it ultimately led to a win. And fun fact for this playoffs, he made NBA history as the first player in the playoffs to lead everybody in total points, total rebounds, total assists. Yes, (laughs) that's because he did make it all the way to the finals, but does still need to be said for considering all the teams throughout history and all the famous players throughout history that have made it to the finals. None of them did what Nikola Jokic did these playoffs, and that's just commendable. And at this point, I think it's pretty hard to argue he isn't the best player in the NBA right now. He did. He was neutral to good on defense, though he did get a bit of a, a friendly whistle with a lot of no calls, I still think, and offensively just unstoppable. And so with that, I I like to point out that there's a little bit of solace you can take in losing to the best player in the NBA, because you could argue everybody should lose to the best player. (laughs) After that, uh, Miami technically won the three-point shooting battle in Game 5. They went 9 of 35 from three-point range, good for 26%, versus Denver's 5 of 28, a frigid 18%. They could not make a three, which is... You know, one of those games, hey, would have been nice to capitalize on that. Both teams did do a really good job locking in, chasing uh, shooters off the three-point line, limiting three-point looks, stuff like that. So I do want to make sure I give the defenses some credit for both sides. Uh, And then for your fun series stats for here, uh, Denver won game one, making eight of 27 three-pointers. They won game three, making five of 18 three-pointers. That's three games that they won shooting badly, and only making single-digit three-pointers. And conversely for Miami, they only had one game where they shot 35% or better from three, which is, I mean, ideally for Miami, they wanted to shoot around 40%. That was the closer one to determining whether or not they win or lost a game. So even giving that some cushion and just saying, hey, 35% or better, they only had one game where they did that. Game two, they shot 49%. Lo and behold, that's the one game that they won. So... Three-point shooting, just like with Jimmy Butler, it just left Miami this series, and the offense struggled uh, without it. This was also a game, Game 5, where Miami struggled to generate fouls. They went 14-16 to 16 from uh, the free-throw line versus the Nuggets 13-23, of 23, which, as a Nuggets fan, that's probably where you would want to look at it and be like, man, that is where we failed to break 100 points. It was left at the line. But for Miami side of it, 14-16, that also includes what I mentioned a little bit earlier, the Jimmy Butler kicking his leg out but still getting the foul and on a three. So that's three right there. Had that actually been... Well, the crazy part is that they reviewed it too, and they still didn't uh, manage to figure it out even with a clear camera angle. So say they didn't want to extend the series for Miami and they took that away, that would have been 13 free throws. 
that still would have been really low for a Miami team with Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler who typically get to the free throw line. The problem throughout that and throughout this series, though, more so was you know combination of Jimmy being hurt, so couldn't always be there, but then also Bam Adebayo not getting to the foul line much. I think he had two free throws in Game 5. Um, as it was really hard for him to get fouls on Nikola Jokic. Bam averaged about four free throws a game, usually averages like 6-7 in previous series. But getting to the foul line was a problem for Miami just in general as well. Point in case, game one, they literally set an NBA Finals record for fewest free throws in a Finals game with two. So this wasn't anything very new. Denver was playing good defense. Miami, through times, was not as aggressive attacking the rim as they should have. But... The other part, like I mentioned before, I legitimately think Nikola Jokic got a bit of a a superstar whistle in that there were fouls that should have been called on him that weren't. And so if they're not going to be called, then Miami's not going to go to the rim because they're not going to be rewarded and they're going to get swallowed up by Jokic just because he's huge. That's like legitimately my my only gripe about uh, Jokic. Uh, for, throughout the series. Like I mentioned, everything else, he's, he's just amazing. The quotes after the game, hilarious. <laughs> His play, just astounding, mesmerizing. I just wish he'd gotten called for some of those fouls a little bit more. Like, there was a good spinning elbow to Bam in Game 5, the side of Bam's head, that uh, would have been nice if that had gotten called, at least for a foul, if not a flagrant. But back on track, let's talk about Bam, actually. Uh, Bam at about Game 5, 20 points, 12 rebounds, only one assist on 9-20 from the field, 2-2 from the free throw line. Did just about everything on defense, considering he was having to defend Jokic, and then they would run two-man game. He'd have to switch on Murray or MPJ or whoever, or maybe Spolster didn't want him to switch, and he had to fight through the screens to get back to Jokic, or maybe he was playing zone and waiting for Jokic to come at him. Like Everything Miami asked of, of Bam to do defensively, he did at an absolutely elite level. While still being aggressive on the offensive end, again, we we think back to the beginning of the season, right? The goal at the beginning of that season was, hey, can we get Bam Adebayo to average like 16, 17 field goal attempts a game? Here he is in the finals. He puts up 20. He knocks down nine, still makes uh, 20 points. That's still pretty darn good overall. And legitimately, I think this was a series that Bam took a step forward as a two-way force. He scored at least 20 points every single game while having to defend arguably the most unstoppable force on offense in the NBA right now. The only things I could really peg him for, he had a few turnover problems at points throughout the series, and yeah, there was the whole part where he, I think he could have he done a better job attacking Jokic and forcing the refs to call fouls. But other than that, a just phenomenal series from Bam Adebayo, who is still a really young player. And so you got to feel great. Like, if this is the floor going forward, and he, like, found something in that final series, we could see another step forward next year for, for him. And that's something positive to look forward to. Uh, next takeaway here, though, I, as I always said, in Spo we trust, but I think this was Spo's worst coaching series this playoffs. Point in case it's Game 5, elimination game for the Heat, they have a five-point lead at the start of the fourth quarter. And then who comes out to start center? Cody Zeller, who plays one minute to start the fourth quarter, is a minus five. And Miami has coughed up the lead by the time Bam Adebayo gets back into the game. Which in turn gives Denver some momentum. They build up a little bit of a lead. 
And then, you know, Jimmy has to put on the cape. He manages to tie it, runs out of gas, last two minutes. Miami ends up losing the game. You could arguably point back to that minute, that one lone minute that Cody Zeller played, and say that that cost Miami game five. And throughout the series, it was stuff like that. Like, I think he waited too long to match uh, Bam to Jokic's minutes. Even in game five, it's it's a little bit arguable he didn't necessarily match it up because Jokic played the entire second half. Bam played the entire second half, minus that one minute that Cody Zeller played. So, did he ever even match uh, Bam Adebayo to Nikola Jokic's minutes? He went small ball five with Love in the first half, which was actually good. They ended up being a plus three in the first half. And yet, Spo still decided to go Cody Zeller when Bam needed that rest to start the fourth. I, again, that's just something I that doesn't click in my head. Uh, I mean, like I can live with Haywood Highsmith not getting a lot of minutes in Game 5, and I can live with Tyler Hero, while being cleared to play, um, ended up not playing because that that's just such a high-pressure situation for a player coming off of an injury like that, still with some rush, maybe rushed back a little bit to be made available. Yeah, it's a lot. I understand not playing him. But, like, really the management of the center spot is where I, I disagree with how Spo handled it this series. And it's unfortunate because <laughs> when the opposing, the, the best player on the opposing team is the center, you want to make sure that your center spot is really well managed to try to muck down at best what, what you can do with the opposing. Like, that was the game plan always throughout these playoffs. What does the opponent do best? Can we muck that up? I don't think that Spolstra capitalized on mucking things up for Nikola Jokic. That would have been a staple Bam's minutes to him, so that way Jokic is always having to deal with the best defender Miami has possible. And then when Jokic went to the bench, it would have been matching Denver going small ball with a small ball of their own, whether that be Love or Highsmith. This just wasn't the series for Cody Zeller. And again, I think it shows Game 5, minus 5 in 1 minute. Like That decision is maybe what cost uh, Miami a title. But overall, now as we look, uh, take a step back away from this, I do want to give a credit to Denver's defense for both their effort and their scheme. They did a phenomenal job, and I know Michael Malone, their head coach, has always been preaching defense, like a good head coach does, but he knows that his team has enough offense. He, he just needed to get them to lock in on defense, and they did uh, against Miami. Ultimately, though, this was a series for Miami. They just could not get enough offense going, which <laughs> I guess looking back at it, where we were the team with the fewest points per game in the league, Maybe it shouldn't have been too surprising that offense eventually came back to bite us in the ass. But really impressive with Miami's defense. They held Denver below 110 points every single game. Like, if you told any Miami Heat, Denver Nugget, any general NBA fan that Miami was going to hold Denver below 110 points at every single game in that series, probably would have picked Miami to win it. Or at least it would have been a close seven-game series with Denver winning. But for Miami, ultimately, they only broke 100 points themselves once, game two, the one that they won, because they just could not get it going from three-point range, and Jimmy Butler just did not have enough to left over. Miami's Cinderella run comes to a close in Denver in the NBA Finals. It's a little bittersweet, but... It's still a phenomenal, historic, legendary season that Miami just had. Moving on now, I just wanted to take some time to talk, again, just about Miami's season as a whole, 
so we can reminisce about what was an absolutely batshit crazy roller coaster ride of a season. And arguably one of the craziest any franchise could have had, period. So, reminder, we go back a little over a year ago. Miami is coming off of an Eastern Conference Finals appearance in a suburb where they did lose one of their key rotation players in P.J. Tucker while Pat Riley was trying to go after Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell who had been made available last summer. Ultimately, Riley did not, so Miami, for the most part, walked back their their roster, minus P.J. Tucker, into the regular season. They started off with a losing record, uh, lost the first two games, and were struggling to reach 500. They did not do so until game 14 in mid-November, tied 7-7. And then they lost four straight. So Miami arguably looking a little hungover from a Eastern Conference Finals appearance the, the previous season. In December, though, they did get on a season-high four-game win streak. I can never forget that that was the, the most that we ever won in a row. It was crazy. But a season-high four-game win streak in mid-December did get them over 500 for the first time that season. Throughout January and February, at every opportunity, the Miami Heat had a chance to string together some wins, try to get more than that four-game win streak in December. They just have a crushing loss to, like, the Hawks, Hornets, uh, Nets, Knicks. This was a team that everybody knew needed to make moves with the upcoming trade deadline, and then <laughs> they didn't make any at all, partially because they did not have a lot of assets worth trading for. The only move that they ended up doing, a very small one to get off Dwayne Dedman, which in a way was a lo- ended up being a positive. Not only did that free up a roster spot, but it also got Dedman off the roster, who was a you know, a big negative as the backup five this year for various reasons. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, he also had that really bad off-court incident where he smacked a massage gun onto a live court, and that, that pretty much signaled the end of him in Miami. So with the trade deadline passed, Miami turned to the buyout market, where they picked up Kevin Love and Cody Zeller. Love to slot in as the starting four to get Caleb back to the bench, and then Zeller to fill in the backup five with Deadman shipped out. And it must be said that they bo- the two of them were positive contributors. I know I kind of shit on Zeller a little bit throughout that Denver series, but like I, I always said every time, it just wasn't his series. It would be a disservice to say that Zeller was not a positive contributor throughout the regular season and some of the earlier series in the playoffs. But ultimately, the additions of Love and Zeller didn't move the needle for Miami. They still could never string together wins. Uh, and the, the big losses that came to mind... Uh, especially in March, one blowout loss to the Nets that pretty much sealed that they couldn't catch them, and then two losses to the Knicks that sealed that they couldn't catch the Knicks. Those were the fifth and sixth seeds at the time, so Miami was stuck as the seventh seed and thus in the play-in tournament. Then in the 7-8 matchup against the Atlanta Hawks, a team at, at, this is at Miami, and against a team that Miami, through the last year, has done a good job of beating they just get blasted on the board by the Hawks and sent one game away from being into the offseason against the Chicago Bulls, a team they had not beaten that year. This was the lowest point. This was where, you know, us as Heat fans, the NBA in general, we all were prepared for Miami losing to the Bulls and thus missing out on the playoffs entirely after this absolutely just garbage year 
where they failed to score. I mean, this was the lowest points per game team in the NBA. They it, they were just ready, it, and it wouldn't have been surprising at all, not at all. And then Miami dug deep, and they managed to come back in in the fourth quarter against the Bulls, just squeezing by them to win that game and become the eight seed in the NBA playoffs. So all right. <laughs> We're not at the lowest point anymore where, where we lost two play-in games at home. Now we get, oh, the, the first-seeded Bucks. That last time we saw them, they swept us, and where they will be favored to do the same. And yet, in the Bucks series, Miami ended up having the better player. between Well, between Jimmy Butler just going absolutely nuclear. For, for reference, Game 4, 56 points. It's on the short list now of highest points in a playoff game period. And then his game five performance where he had 40 points, including that absolutely incredible shot to force overtime. So between Jimmy going nuclear, Giannis getting injured in game one, missing game two, three, still looking good in game four and five, but you know, he wasn't dropping 56 points like Jimmy was or forcing overtime shots. But so between those two things, Miami had the better player that series and ultimately shocked the entire NBA by being the fifth eight seed to ever beat a first seed in NBA history. From there, they would go up against the New York Knicks, hated 90s rival, where Miami had the better supporting cast. Jimmy Butler got injured game one, was out game two, and yet Miami almost won game two off of the supporting cast with Bam Adebayo as well. (laughs) <laughs> I should probably still mention that. But again, they almost won game two. They blew out game three, blew out game four. So that would have been a sweep had things gone a little bit better in game two. And there were some really bad ref, ref calls in game two. Thank you, Scott, the extender foster. So overall, though, Miami had the better supporting cast. Meanwhile, for the, the Knicks, Jalen Brunson absolutely went off. Arguably the best player in that series considering Jimmy's injury. So Miami turned to their defense and just ground New York to dust to win in six. After that, up against the Celtics, rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals. And Miami had the better execution, for the most part. (laughs) They did take a 3-0 lead behind using both better execution, better coaching, and just a little more poise. Like The things that they had exploited the year prior to to get that series to seven and almost win it there, that... They did that here, and they took a 3-0 lead. Then they let up a little bit. Uh, Boston takes Game 4. They take Game 5 at home. Game 6, Miami has that lead before that absolutely incredible shot by Derek White that, again, statistically, historically, was only compared to Michael Jordan's literal the shot. So that was crazy. But then it came to Game 7, and that execution came back. Miami stomped the mess out of Boston. At their home, Game 7, to advance to the NBA Finals yet again, second time in the four-year Jimmy Butler era. And then in the Finals against Denver, all those advantages that they had before either flipped to disadvantages or went neutral. You know, Jimmy Butler was injured. Uh, Nikola Jokic was clearly the better player in that series. At best, if Jimmy is even healthy, maybe he can match Jokic a little bit. I still don't think he would have been better than Jokic overall. The supporting cast that helped us in the Knicks series, well, that was closer to neutral. Or or you could even argue more so to Denver, right? 
they they had role players define certain games. Aaron Gordon had a had a great game that uh yeah game four. Bruce Brown I think was also game four. Uh, Christian Brown game three. It's a little bit of a disservice to to lump him in with the supporting cast, but Jamal Murray was also phenomenal throughout the the series. Like if you want to say if you consider your supporting cast to be includes your second best player, so anybody that's not your best player, I guess, then Jamal Murray, while producing in a different way was about as effective as what Bam Adebayo was providing as well. So, again, neutral there. And then execution, maybe lump in coaching as well. Neutral to maybe bad, because, again, the the backup five with Cody Zelda out there, I still don't quite understand that. So all of the stuff that was working in Miami's favor ended up flipping. Ultimately, they could not get enough offense going to even break 100 points regularly, and the Heat lose in five. So while the ending is not picture book, we didn't get the ring at the end of it all. Looking back, and again, considering the, the long of it all, it was a season of, of not too many highs, but a good bit of lows, reaching the lowest point right before the playoffs, and then just catapulting past any expectations. Again, the expectations going into the playoffs was something like, hey, if we get to the second round, that feels good. If we push a team in the second round, that seemed like the most realistic upper ceiling. Nobody thought finals. So when your team rises above all the expectations, I think that's something memorable and something you can still look back on positively, again, even though it didn't end up in a ring. Miami became the second eight seed to make the NBA finals. Throughout their playoff run, they played the three best regular season records, the, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Nuggets. Beating two of them, but just just the fact that they played all three is pretty absurd. And doing so from an eight seed position, meaning that they had no home court advantage throughout the entire playoffs. That's some historic. That's a historic run that I don't think any team is going to be able to replicate under those conditions. And then for Miami fans in particular, this was an all-time revenge tour through the East. The Bucks rubber match, three times in four years of the Jimmy Butler era. They swept us in 2021 on the route to a title. They were one of the title favorites this year and sent them packing in a surprise upset in five. The Knicks, hated 90s rival, though I haven't played them much since because they typically fail to make the playoffs. But they think the Knicks fans out there thinking that they got an easy road to the conference finals through an eight-seed Miami team, nah. Uh, That was the one series where I I was confident Miami was going to win no matter what, just because I legitimately thought they were the better team. And they looked like the better team, even with an injured Jimmy Butler. So they take care of that in six. And then the Celtics, like with the Bucks, three times in four years, you beat them in 2020. They got you back in 2022 en route to them going to the finals. Though, unlike the Bucks, they didn't capitalize on their opportunity to get a ring while they were there. But like the Bucks, heavy title favorites this year because of that. And yet Miami stunned them. Well, stunned them, they stunned us, and then we stunned them to finish it off. And that wrapped up an all-time revenge tour. Just That'll also be something I know Heat fans in particular will not be forgetting. As I wrap this up, and so needs to be said, Miami got to the finals. They got farther than 28 other teams. And it again showed that Miami, even... <laughs> When the regular season can be so-so, as long as they get into the playoffs, they can make some noise. 
Miami remains a premier place to be if an NBA player legitimately wants to put in the work and win at the highest level. With that, we are wrapping up the 2022 to 2023 season and we'll look towards the 2023 offseason where Miami will look to improve upon their roster, come back, and make next year the one that they finish the job and get that ring. I wanted this episode to just be about finishing up the regular season and reminiscing. So on Monday, before the NBA draft next Thursday, we'll I'll go over the offseason in detail. So draft, uh, there's already trade rumors going around between Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, I'll break all of that down on Monday. So for today, I do thank you for hanging around. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also, check out the pods we have at OGG Basketball for off-season content. If you're interested, links for everything are in the show notes as usual. I'll be back Monday. So until then, keep smiling. Have a great one, Heat Nation.